Our first reading comes to us from Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for a word from God. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion and will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Listen to me, my people, and give heed to me, my nation. For a teaching will go out from me, and my justice for a light to the peoples. I will bring near my deliverance swiftly. My salvation has gone out, and my arms will rule the peoples. The coastlands wait for me, and for my arm they hope. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and those who live on it will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever, and my deliverance will never be ended. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people who have my teaching in your hearts. Don't fear the reproach of others, and don't be dismayed when they revile you. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my deliverance will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Our second text this morning comes from Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 24. Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glorify my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, then the branches also are holy. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand only through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps God will not spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in God's kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. 
And even those of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you have been cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us today. In the name of Christ, amen. Many years ago, I went cross-country skiing at nighttime in the mountains of Colorado. And it was one of those amazing, beautiful nights. There wasn't a whole lot of moonlight, but the stars were incredible. And after I had finished skiing, I sat down and looked up and really paid attention for the first time, and my breath was taken away. It was far enough away from any towns or cities and lights that I could just see so many stars. Have you ever been in a place like this where you look up and just think, there are millions and millions and millions of stars, and I, I knew that, but there they are. And this was this experience for me. I remember just sitting in awe and looking up. There were colors, there was depth, there were shooting stars, and I just felt so small, but also so alive. The summer before I went to seminary, I took a solo trip to France. And as part of my time there, I spent a week at the uh, ecumenical monastery Tizay. And many of you are familiar with the Tizay community. We know them most because of the music, the chants that come out of this community. But it's this amazing place that you can go and visit. In fact, they intentionally invite visitors, particularly young people, teenagers and young adults, to come and join in their practices of simple spiritual life. The brothers in this monastery pray. They worship three times a day with their chants and with scripture and with silence. They work. They do all kinds of chores to keep the community going. They spend time in silence and in the study of scripture. So they invite people in to join in these patterns and habits, and thousands of people flock to this community. There's something life-giving about this rhythm of life. So the week that I was there was unbelievable, one of the best weeks of my life. I got to do chores around the community. I got to walk in the gardens of silence. I got to be a part of a Bible study with people from seven different countries and hear amazing perspectives from all over the world. And I got to participate in these prayer times. And there was one worship prayer time in particular that was so powerful It was right after some new groups had arrived and there were literally 5,000 people there worshiping in this uh, gigantic church. And everyone sits on the floor or kneels on the floor for the time of prayers. And we sat there in silence after a scripture reading for 10 to 12 minutes. And can you imagine being with 5,000 people in silence? It's this very bizarre but very cool experience. 
And then after the time of silence was up, they started um, one of these songs, one of these chants. And with all these new voices around me, we were singing together in one language. And I was looking around at the friends I had made from all over the world, and I was looking at the cross at the front of this church, and I just got goosebumps. I felt the presence of God. I felt small, and yet I felt so alive. When I was a teenager, somebody made me a mixtape. I am old enough to have had mixtapes in my life, and these just don't exist anymore, and I'm so sad about it. We can make each other playlists, sure, but there's something about writing the names of the song and colored Sharpie and getting the tape and looking at what's on there, and oh, it was glorious. So this friend of mine made me a mixtape, and one of the pieces on it was very eclectic. I know that there was country and there was rap and there was a classical piece. And it was box cello concerto, number one, and probably Yo-Yo Ma, I'm not sure who the cellist was, but it was the first time I'd heard it, and I remember laying on the floor of my room just being blown away by this piece of music. I played it over and over, which it was a tape, so it meant rewinding, it was dedication, I didn't just get to put it on an automatic reloop, and I just laid there appreciating this music in awe. I felt small and I felt alive. I wonder what experiences of awe you have in your life. We think about awe as a kind of experience of holiness, of reverence, and sometimes there's a little bit of fear there. We think about it as a, a moment of sacred admiration, of recognizing where we are in the universe and being woken up to new things. In Romans chapter 11, Paul is writing to a community that is trying to figure out how to live as new followers of Christ in this time after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he uses this analogy of an olive tree and of a branch being grafted in to this already rooted, established tree. A branch being attached on so that it might share the rich nutrition of what this other tree already has going on. And I've learned a lot about grafting recently, and I know that we have some, some really good gardeners in this congregation. I'd be curious to know if anyone has done this later. Please tell me about it. But the grafting process is almost like magic. You take a branch from something that maybe used to be living or something that's in a wrong place, and you cut it off and you attach it to this rooted tree of some sort, make a little notch in it, and wrap it up. They have... Uh, actually special tape that does this and that will just disintegrate once it has become fully attached. And then eventually this branch that has been attached to the rooted tree will start to bud and flower and eventually fruit, although that usually takes at least three years or so. But in this process, this is actually 
probably the perfect season right now for, for grafting. It's sort of at the end of a dormancy period of a tree and just as things are starting to bud and you take what looks like this dead branch and attach it and then it becomes integrated and part of this root system. So here Paul uses this analogy of this olive tree being grafted together. And he's writing in this particular context where there is conflict between the Jewish Christians and between the Gentile Christians. And we see this all throughout the letters that Paul writes. is this negotiation of who's in this family and what does that mean about the laws and the ways that we practice and who was first and who do we call what and how does this family tree fit together? There's a lot of debate about who's right and who's in and who goes where. And that's where verse 20 comes in. Paul says, as you're considering your place in this family tree, do not become proud, but stand in awe. Do not become proud, but stand in awe. Paul says, forget about worrying who goes where and who came first and who is right. Stand back and appreciate that you are connected to something bigger than yourself. You are connected to the family tree of God. Let that realization put you in a place of awe, of reverence and appreciation and wonder and deeper faith. UC Berkeley has done some fascinating studies on awe. In one of these studies, they had participants do a fill-in-the-blank exercise. And they asked individuals, one at a time, to complete this sentence. I am blank. So the first group of participants were standing in front of like a boring wall in a hallway. And they had them answer that question 20 times. I am blank. I am blank. So these participants would say things that you might expect. I am a student. I am a runner. I am a sister. Whatever. And then they took another group of participants and had them stand in the museum at the base of a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton. And they looked up at this amazing creature and then they asked them the same question. Fill in the blank. I am blank. I am blank. And the people in that group, in front of the T-Rex, used communal words to describe themselves. They'd say things like, I am a human. I am an American. They'd identify themselves as corporate groups of culture and of identity rather than individualistic terms, like the ones who were just staring at a wall. Another study that they did uh, was sort of similar. They had participants stand in a location and just look around them for 90 seconds, and then they interviewed them about their feelings. And so some of the participants were standing just in this building looking at a very blank, boring scene. And the other group of participants stood in a beautiful grove of old eucalyptus trees. And so, as you might imagine, as they interviewed people afterward, the ones that were standing in the amazing grove of trees reported feeling experiences of awe. 
They would say things like they were connected to something that they couldn't understand. They were in the presence of something vast. So then when the participants thought that this study was over and they were leaving, the researchers had staged an actor who would trip with a cup of pens. And as the pens would scatter in the dirt in front of the participants, they found that those that had been in the grove of trees were significantly more likely to help pick up the pens. Researchers have shown through all kinds of interesting experiments like this that experiences of awe lead us to collaboration and to sacrifice and to cooperation and to creativity. In many ways, experiences of awe draw us to be the people that God created us to be in the first place. Awe doesn't always have to be magnificent in the sense of being at the top of Mount Everest or being at the Grand Canyon or being in front of an ocean. There are little experiences of awe that we often overlook in our day-to-day lives. This past week, many of us walked outside to an insane amount of wind. That was an experience of awe, feeling the pressure and the power of the wind. Awe can be as simple as watching a leaf fall from a tree or reading a poem or letting a painting wash over you watching a child learn something new. Even little moments of awe have been shown to lead to greater well-being and creativity weeks later. Unfortunately, I think we live in a world where it's harder and harder to put ourselves in places of awe. We are less connected to art as a culture than we used to be. We are less connected to the outdoors. We are less connected to one another and much more connected to screens and to being alone. I think we have to be intentional about seeking out awe today. The scripture text from Isaiah reminded us that we come from places. We come from the rocks of the ground and we come from people from Abraham and Sarah and our ancestors, generations and generations. We're reminded that God is bigger than even this world and what we know, and we are called to look up to the heavens and down to the earth and to know that even these awe-inspiring things pale in comparison to God's love and salvation. As we've journeyed through this Lent season, we've talked about how we navigate the path toward Easter. And we began by recognizing the original blessing that God gives us through creation. And we talked about the reality of of sin and uh, a definition of that as being the denial of love. And last week, Pastor Garrett shared a beautiful testimony on what love is and said that some of our problems with receiving love isn't about not finding it in the right places, but about the barriers that we build up that block it out. And I think that awe is one of the ways that we break down those barriers. 
that we take piece by piece the bricks down from the walls we've put in front of us so that we might be able to feel and to give and to receive love both with God and with one another. Awe is what we hope for when we worship, when we come to a time and a space like this. In many ways, it's the reason this room looks like this. Look up. You can't be in your own head, in your own space when you're in a room like this. It inspires awe. It reminds us that we are small and yet that we are alive. And we worship in community. As we're looking up, we see in our peripheral vision all around us those who are on this journey with us. You are part of God's family tree. And it doesn't matter how you got here. Maybe you transferred in. Maybe you've been here for generations and generations. Maybe you only consider yourself a curious observer, but you are a part of this family tree. You are included, not only here at Fort Street, but in the family of God. I'd invite us to feel awe at that realization, but also to seek out experiences of awe that we might make spiritual practices out of. What might you do this week to experience awe? Each time you read a poem or feel the wind or look at the river or listen to a piece of music or spend time in prayer or meditation, the barriers break down a little bit more and we open ourselves up to the love of God and the love of one another. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for the things that wake us up that remind us that we are small and that we are alive. Lord, allow us to see the awe all around us, to participate in it, and to know that we are part of your holy family. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.